Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, joined as always with my co-host and very good friend, Dr. Trey Sirtis. Trey, good evening. Yes, hello. Trey, we picked something very much in your wheelhouse to talk about today. We haven't talked a lot about innovation outside of obviously the increase in virtual visits, something I'm passionate about, but something you and I have been talking about a little bit lately is an innovation grant, and I don't exactly know what that means, so I'd love for you to explain it, that you've been applying for, think about thinking about applying for that has to do with uh, hospital at home. And that's something I thought we could explore a little bit more here publicly, talking a little bit more about this hospital at home uh, concept, which has a little bit to do with virtual uh, digital care, virtual care, and the evolutions happening there. But it also has a little bit to do with where hospital medicine might be going, because for the past decade and a half that I've been doing hospital work, they've been talking about this idea of micro hospitals and the future of hospital medicine. So uh, something that I thought we'd, we'd jump into for a little mini episode just to talk about is the hospital going extinct. Yeah, <laughs> it's the I don't think the hospital is going extinct. I think the hospital is changing what it's for, which is for highly acute, highly specialized, very sick patients, patient care, basically. So, and you know, while I, I was actually awarded that that grant to to pursue, it was a mobile exas COPD exacerbation initiative, so, which so was let's like, yeah. so so there was a. How did you find the grant? Like you 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 found it's a grant in the institution that I work at. They gotcha. offer various monies for those who submit uh, proposals. And this one was kind of mimicking kind of like an innovation tank or shark tank kind of thing where you're putting forth ideas and the various departments will put forth money to support those ideas. And so my idea was a mobile COPD exacerbation unit, which speaks to kind of this hospital to home concept, which is patients who are coming to the hospital repeatedly for really just very simple treatments, some steroids, some breathing treatments, maybe some oxygen, some close monitoring because their COPD or emphysema are getting worse. And these, um, especially these sick patients are utilizing the emergency department and the hospital a lot. And uh, so that was kind of that initiative. But when you ask, is the hospital going extinct? I think it's going extinct for taking care of these kinds of patients, which is there's so many patients for so few hospitals relative to these large metropolis, well, cities, we'll just say cities yep. and metropolis for DFW, but cities in general. And you could speak to that, right? That there are fewer hospitals per capita now than there were in the past. There yeah. are bigger systems fewer hospitals. Yeah, the the for a bunch of economic reasons, one is that the economies of running a hospital is very difficult because hospitals have just such an enormous overhead cost because you think about it it's, it's this big building that has to be heated, has to be cooled, has to be mm -hmm. staffed, so you have high what what we call as administrators fixed overhead, which is you have to pay these bills regardless of if mm -hmm. there's people in the hospital or not. And as you have the emptying out of these rural or outlying communities, it just doesn't become advantageous to have hospitals of any size. And really not only of hospitals of size, but as medicine progresses, mm -hmm. there's there's inequality, care inequality between these rural outlying hospitals and then these large academic centers like the ones that you work at, or not even academic centers, mm -hmm. even community hospitals in these mm -hmm. metroplexes, like in the mm -hmm. DFW metroplex where you and I are there are these care gaps because it's not safe to get open heart surgery at a hospital where they're not doing a, a sufficient number. And you know more about that than I do, but mm -hmm. you know, really you don't want to be the, the 
third open heart surgery that right. the hospital's ever done. And they, right. the, the previous two they did were two years ago. That That's right. not, that's probably not the safest way from a clinical competence standpoint for you to get care. And that means that these outlying hospitals that just don't see a lot of things, it's, it's tough for them to be able to care for people. So what happens is when you talk about people getting care flighted or getting flown mm-hmm. other places is you, you have these, like in, in West Texas, where my family's from, you have these patients that are flown from these very small community hospitals into larger centers for most everything. And in our very unique healthcare system, those cases are the cases that actually make all the money. So you're yeah. keeping the business that actually doesn't pay very well. And you're sending out of your hospital, all of the cases that actually make money for your mm-hmm. hospital. Absolutely. And again, you're now concentrating all those high acuity cases, those very high complexity cases in these few hospitals in these metroplex areas or cities, you know, that and and that means that there are only so many beds, right? The four walls of the hospital can only accommodate so many people. And if you're filling them with ever sickening patients, that means that all these other patients who need a hospital traditionally, who could be accommodated, say, in these rural hospitals, but they don't live in West Texas, they live in Dallas, they live in the DFW area. And that means there's less space for those patients, or at least the hospital perceives it as such, because you can't say no to these high acuity patients, you have to take care of them. And they generally require way more care, way more things, longer stays. And then you're dealing with all these other patients who maybe are short stay observations, again, maybe one, two problems, but they need to be seen still. And so hospital at home addresses a some of these things, not all of them, and the mobile COPD exacerbation unit that I de- detailed for this grant, it was taking one problem with one complication and attempt with, you know, just narrow therapeutics, meaning like nebulizer treatments, which are breathing treatments and steroids, and then someone may be giving you oxygen. And maybe. Yep. So, so the, your very narrow therapy kind of uh, regimen for these patients. But if you can do it, then it, you stop them from ever coming to the hospital. Yeah, that's a good, I appreciate that explanation. I think I've got a number of questions for you, but I want to make sure that you and I are using the same word bank here. So mm-hmm. when I describe how hospitals are generally structured, structured, I think of two areas of stratification. So the first area of stratification is just around acuity. And obviously the least acute is someone who's just walking around out in the, the ambulatory or the, the um, outpatient environment, which is to say, if, if you can move around freely and you don't have any concerns and you're at your outpatient, you're not even in the hospital. And then the next level up, I would call what you mentioned observation. So sometimes patients are put under observation mm-hmm. and they're in the hospital. I think the formal observation status is less than 24 hours. So you can be in this, the, in this limbo status of under observation for up to 24 hours when, Hey, maybe there's something we're worried about. Mm-hmm. We're not a hundred percent sure you need to be admitted formally into the hospital, but we want to put you under observation or the cool insiders will call it OBS, OBS, OB status. Yeah. And then in my history, there was there was medical, and then there was you know, progressive levels of care above medical. So at, at the community hospital I worked at, it was medical, it was surgical, it was ICU, and it was progressive care unit. And you, from most critical to least, it would go ICU, progressive care unit, surgical kind of, though it wasn't linear, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, if you were recovering from surgery, then uh, you would go there, you were... Um, 
potentially more acute depending on the surgery you had. And then medical was, you know, I've got bad pneumonia and I just, mm -hmm. I need to be in the hospital because I, I can't breathe that good. Mm -hmm. And so that's acuity based stratification of, of how we think about patients in the hospital. And then there's this, I think of it as lateral stratification amongst those categories. We, we have a friend who's a nurse and she is a neuro ICU nurse. So mm -hmm. dealing with the I guess the brain is my simple explanation of neuro. And then there's these specialized ICU, CV ICU, cardiovascular mm -hmm. ICU, neuro ICU, trauma ICU is, is ones that I've seen. So you have these specific criterias within these um, acuity categories. That's my layman's explanation. Please, please correct no, me. No, no. I mean, you're exactly correct that the hospitals organize themselves by acuity and system. And system, service. system. Okay. Service. Right. System service. So, you know, like how sick you are, what is involved and who is taking care of you. And that, that's generally how they're organized. And that influences what kind of nurses you get, where in the building are you, what services you are offered is not the right word, but say you need telemetry, which is like constant monitoring of your heart. There's only so many beds that can do that in certain hospitals. They're also then conversely so many tele boxes, right? There's only so many literal things that people can wear in a hospital. So anyway, so that's how I would think about it is acuity, you know, service and, and, you know, kind of what, why you're sick, you know, if that, if that makes sense. So my, my layman's understanding then is that the, the most appropriate candidates for any sort of hospital at home measure would be relatively low acuity. So that yes. the patients aren't going to decompensate and in, in quickly and in a, I guess, a relatively narrow band, you know, if you're going to have a core team and that's the advantage of, as we've mentioned, like virtual care is a hospital has to take all comers. So you have to take a hundred different things that walk in. If you're doing virtual care, hospital at home care, you know, what was your grant for again? Um, COPD, right? Yes. COPD yeah, you, you could be the COPD hospital at home experts of Texas. And you can say, we only deal with patients that are under hospital at home for COPD because we are the COPD experts. So that would be, that's something that gets opened up in this hospital at home type of category that where it's not stratified by geography, which is how hospitals based now, but right. it'd be by, I guess, certain disease categories. Yeah. And you, depending on what you're doing, you target like most institutions, at least most institutions that carry this data or care about it, you know, are asking themselves, well, where are most of our patients for various diseases coming from? You know, in the DFW area, the south, southwestern part of the uh, city or the, the metroplex or the south, direct due south, and so on is where a vast majority of our patients come from. And those are largely underserved, underinsured, non-insured patients who are subject to a variety of socioeconomic diseases. COPD is one of those, you know, because smoking is higher, more rampant, exposure is more rampant, access to healthcare is less evident. And so you're getting fewer uh, trips to the doctor, fewer medications overall. And so disease that does develop worsens much more easily. And so those are people who are coming in often with minor, but then all the way up to severe or critical illness. And so if you can take the people who are, you know, again, coming in with minor illness and you can figure out where they're going, you can target your initiative. You can say these zip codes we're going to go to addressing this population who keeps coming back to the hospital. One of the things that uh, I know about being in the hospital is that hospitals are pushing this idea of having people that are kind of in your room all the time when you're on the, the inpatient unit. There, there's a 
uh, hot term called nurse rounding, where nurses should uh, be rounding every hour to check in on their patients. You've got uh, phlebotomists coming in and out of your room to draw your blood. You've got technicians coming in to do all these sorts of images. You've got medications that the nurses nurses need to be giving to you. There's all these things that I associate happening in the hospital. And when you and I have talked about virtual care previously, it's always felt like, well, it, it only works if you just don't need that many things done to you, because that's obviously right. hard to do in a virtual environment. How, how are you thinking about these transitions to, to these virtual environments, these hospital at home environments? Is, is it having a nurse or, or some care professional like sure. in that at that home with that patient 24 seven or, or in, in shifts or what, what are you seeing as, as the discussion uh, is evolving? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a complicated question, but I, what I would say is that you have to first off retrospectively look at your data. I mean, you got to look back and you got to show, okay, well, these are the patients going back to the zip codes. If these are the patients from these zip codes and this number of patients who are getting sick enough to come to the hospital for 24, 36, 48 hours or something like that. And we deem that unnecessary, right? That, that it was not necessary for them to have gotten that bad, that if you had gotten to them 72 hours before then, maybe they would have never come. So you got to identify those patients and then you got to ask yourself, okay, well, like how many times have those patients come in and needed inpatient stays or were complicated by this thing or, you know, had this other thing. That's why you got to pick and choose your disease process. Like the worst thing that can happen, you know, anything that you can get hit by a bus, right? But like the worst like expected thing that can happen to you with emphysema is you can get a really big lung clot and die or you can eat a lot of oxygen too much that you can't get it in time and your heart will stop. So those are kind of the two things that can happen. You really can't do much about the preventing the clot. We do that in the hospital, but we wouldn't necessarily need to do that at home, but you certainly can provide oxygen, right? You can measure people's oxygen, provide it. And so getting to your second part of the question, which was like, well, what would that look like? How often would the nurse need to be there per these like kind of inpatient rounds? Well, again, if these are patients who generally are not getting a lot of severe complications, but are coming in for brief stays, well, odds are they don't need around the hour nursing to check in them. In fact, I would argue that that's probably not conducive to their healing anyways. I always joke that the hospital is not the place to heal. The hospital is the place to get stabilized. In fact, it's impossible almost to heal in the hospital. I say that in jest somewhat, but you're always, you can't sleep. There's beeping. People bugging you all the time, getting poked, not taking restful. Blood. People don't. It's not like, oh, right. I'm at the hospital to rest and right, relax. Right, right. And so, with this sort of hospital home thing, you are trying to take advantage of the fact that they are at home, not just keep them out of the hospital. I think those are the two things you'd have to marry. And so, yeah, would there be a nurse who's coming, or even an LPN who's kind of coming and being like, I'm going to check your vitals. I'm going to make sure I deliver you this uh, breathing treatment. I'm going to listen to your lungs and see how you're feeling. And then I'm going to call you in two hours and we're going to come by in the afternoon. Maybe it's that sufficient, if that makes sense. And it, it obviously varies and you, you learn and adapt. So in some ways then trying to, trying to aggregate what you've mentioned, it, mm -hmm. is it like you're creating an additional step down unit to use yeah. an insider term yeah. if, when yeah, you say, you Hey, you know, in some ways we may be able to avoid an admission altogether. And you just may never get so critical that you need hourly rounding, which again, hospital visits are expensive. So all of these things that the hospital is doing for you are, it's not out of a charitable need. So if you're getting all this attention and you don't need it, that's money out of your pocket or money being spent in the system that, that is inefficiently being utilized. So, mm -hmm. uh, but if we can transition you out of the hospital faster to a, a lower level of acuity that where maybe you don't need that, or we can avoid that, avoid that admission altogether. 
Ideally, yeah. it would be a win-win, I assume. Yeah. Honestly, I think of it more as, I mean, I agree with you, I, but I like to think of it more as like a, a, a true bridge between outpatient and patient care, meaning that the, the, the contrast between what you get in a clinic and what you get in the hospital is becoming so vast, becoming so great, and that the, the people who do that, the doctors and nurses who deliver that care are becoming increasingly trained, specialized, and siloed. And so it's hard for them to communicate with one another in a way they can truly understand. And you're getting patients who are falling in the crack between those two things. I'm thinking of cancer patients who have tons of complications, tons of complications all the time. They're coming in constantly for issues as they get towards the end of their life. I'm thinking of these COPD patients. I'm thinking of heart failure patients. I'm thinking, you know, again, recurrent or asthmatic patients and so on. Like there, there's just, there's a ton of things for that might or may not, may or may not work well for a hospital at home, but they fall in this chasm that we're describing, which is like outpatient is not fast enough. An inpatient might be necessary, but maybe not if you get them early enough, right? Like, and so I think there's something about this bridge in between, hopefully preventing people from ever getting so sick that they need the hospital. And then again, alleviating the burden of the hospital in theory anyways. That's exciting, man. Yeah, this is one of those things I'm, I'm, it's getting talked about a lot because in the healthcare Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship circles, this is something that's getting funded a lot by these venture capitalist companies is doing these hospital at home efforts, but it's one of those things that often feels like there are outsiders trying to come in and tackle it versus insiders like yourself or these large institutions that really have the know-how and deal with this every day and are best equipped to understand the nuances of, Mm -hmm. well, these are the patients that we are fairly confident can be transitioned into a, Mm -hmm. into a different environment. I'll be really interested to see how this, how this turns out. Any, any closing thoughts or, or for the average listener out there who might be a medical professional or just a, a layman, anything that you'd encourage them to, to research, look into? Honestly, um, I would just say we need to advocate as a community to figure out what we're going to do in order to stave off the endless tide of people ending up at a hospital. Nobody wants to be there. I ask anybody, nobody wants to be there unless they absolutely have to. And of course they're grateful, but no one's excited about it. Like you're saying, and, and a lot of disease certainly that I see is preventable. I mean, that's a huge problem about United States healthcare. Like we talked about last episode in general, but I think that as a community, we can take ownership over like, well, okay, well, what if, if it's not enough to, to see my doctor that often, especially if I'm getting sicker, can there be something else in between? What could that be? Is, is it being visited at my home? I think that I would just advocate for folks to be open to what healthcare can look like. Because if you consider it, and I know you've mentioned it, Patrick, which is, you know, essentially the system of delivery of healthcare in the United States has been stagnant for decades at this point. You know, you're either going to a clinic or you're going to a hospital. Like those are the two things that you're doing. And yes, they're urgent cares. I get it, freestanding EDs, but we all know how dangerous those places can be. And so in reality, like these are the two places you're going for the majority of your care. And I think that you're talking about having people be open to virtual visits, right? To alleviate the burden of getting to a clinic. And I think what I'm talking about is remaining open to, well, okay, well, how else can I get care? Can care come to me, you know, and... Because I think if people take ownership over that idea, they'll be more amenable to trying it because they're enormously expensive. It's very complicated. You're having to train 
hyper specialized trained people, which costs a ton of money. And so these, these initiatives are extremely precarious, unlike opening a lemonade stand or something like that, you know, and that scares a lot of innovation off from hospitals, right? Even though they so desperately want and need it. There's no move fast and break things in healthcare, right? Rightfully so. Rightfully yeah. so. But I, I strongly agree with that. But I do think that if people as a community can come together and be like, well, how do I want, how do I envision my care? Like, what do I, what do I accept as, as something that is acceptable to me for my care? So. Well, the flip side of that, to your point, what I'll, I'll, I'll say is there, while there's no move fast and break things, there is a problem with being paralyzed into doing nothing to address the, right. the holes and problems that we witness. And there's, you know, pages and pages and, and, terabytes and terabytes of information on how poorly the healthcare system serves so many people. And for those that, especially with high deductible plans, for those people where a hospital admission is a significant financial event for them, the ability to to carve out individuals that can receive appropriate care mm -hmm. at home for a much lower, probably 50% the cost, just mm -hmm. off the, from a staffing standpoint, off the right off the bat, that's really significant. And again, let's, we're not, we haven't even addressed Hospitals are dangerous places, right? Yeah. People like, this is going to sound very extreme, but I hope the analogy makes sense, which is like being in a war zone, I assume, is not just dangerous because somebody will think you are itself the enemy and will shoot at you to try and hurt you. But being in a war zone is dangerous because the, the likelihood of violence is so much higher because people are just in that mindset. I'm in a mindset to commit violence right now against other people. And because of that, sort of these loosened restrictions. And I would say the same thing happens in a hospital, not for violence needs, but it's just like the idea is like, I'm going to do things to patients because they need my help. And if we know anything from research is that when you do more things to patients, looking for stuff, procedures, giving medicines, the likelihood of adverse events increases. That makes sense. But the problem is, is adverse events, just like war zones, end up killing people. That's extreme. Sometimes it's just a rash. Sometimes, you know, it, it's a swollen lip. Sometimes it's, it's some itching and so on. But in extreme circumstances, depending on who you're listening to, it could be up to 100,000 Americans a year dying from errors and, and stuff, which a vast majority happen at a hospital. And it's not because people want to do that or they're incompetent per se. It's just that medicine is very complex and you're in the war zone. You're in the place where people are just thinking of doing things. I deal with it all the time. I deal with it with COVID right now when we're taking care of patients where largely there's nothing to do after you institute a lot of the therapies and you see a lot of physicians of a variety of type wringing their hands being like, well, am I doing enough? Like what, what I'm supposed to be doing something. And so being at home spares you, I think somewhat from that. Doctors in the clinics are notoriously good at this. They can't do everything all the time. They got to be like, I'm going to spend 15 or 20 minutes with you. And then you're going to spend two weeks maybe or six months on your own. I'm not going to be there. And so they kind of let go of that mentality. And I think that delivers a lot better care in certain instances. But what about those patients who need more time, more attention, but maybe not all the danger that's associated with where all the sick people are, the war zone, if you will. Again, I think I'm being a little extreme, but I hope you're following me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I like that analogy of, you know, if you're, if it's not appropriate for you to be in an environment uh, where they're going to do things, I think of the hammer nail discussion, yeah. right? You know, if you're in an inappropriate environment where 
people are just more likely to prescribe you things, to do things, to operate, operate on you, so to speak, mm -hmm. because that's what doctors do. That's what nurses do. Then there's a chance, there's an increased chance of, of things, yes. of adverse events or adverse reactions or just weird things happening. Yeah. 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 And patients feel the same way. It's not just doctors and nurses. Patients come there. And like I was saying, what I think would be helpful is if we as a community thought about what kind of care we want, because when patients go to the hospital, they know from movies and TV and everything that's like, well, I'm here to have things done. Like, what, you're not going to do anything? And so like that. People who come see me for a viral pneumonia, which most pneumonia is, and I'm like, well, we're just going to give you oxygen. We're going to support you through this and take care of what other medical issues they have. And it's like, what about antibiotics? I'm like, well, you don't need antibiotics. Well, aren't you going to do anything? It's like, you don't need those things, actually. In fact, if I do those things to you, they're more likely to cause damage than help. And that's really hard for patients to wrap their heads around. And that, in turn, affects doctors more, right? Because they're getting, they're getting praised when they do a lot of stuff. And patients feel like they're getting a lot of service. But patients don't always put it together that, like, that could have consequences. Now, again... I'm generalizing, I'm not advocating for, you know, again, you come in with a gallbladder infection, you don't go for gallbladder surgery. You don't come in with a heart attack, you don't go for a heart stent or something like that. There's absolutely a thousand percent need for the people who need to be in the hospital, but we're not talking about those people, right? We're talking about people who could maybe be at home, who maybe don't need to come to the hospital. And if you don't need to be in the hospital, then you shouldn't get hospital care. And I don't mean just like services. I mean like everything, but if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that absolutely makes sense. Well, that's a great spot to wrap it. I think Trey, yeah. we're right at the thirty-minute yeah. mark. This is a, a fascinating discussion. I'm interested to see where your your grant winds up. So we might do a, a version two or round two sure. of this episode to talk about what you're seeing and, and what your learning is, especially because this is an innovative and emerging space and in, in healthcare in general. So as always, uh, check us out at translateyourdoctor.com. If you're interested in passing along a comment to Trey or I, you can email us at translateyourdoctor at gmail.com. Like us, comment, say something nice, and we will catch you next time. Thank you, Trey. Thank you.